23 of Genesis. Now, Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, and in parentheses, that is Hebron. Now, just so you know what is going on with this, um, Kiriath Arba was the name that it was at the time in which Moses wrote this account, as Moses was writing this, at the time in which uh, Sarah and um, Abraham were venturing through the land of Canaan, it was called Hebron, which is the Hebrew tongue. Okay, So it's Hebron in Hebrew, and Kiriath Arba became the name as people of the Arba took that village. So later on, when Moses is around, and they're wandering through the desert in Egypt, and he's writing the account of the Pentateuch, the, uh, name, the name of the place was changed to Kiriath Arba. So, and in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Heth. And some of your translates, translations include Hittites, which is just um, obviously the sons of Heth. Heth was the father of the Hittites. And saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of the sons of Heth, ans, Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them and said, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelel, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even all of who who went in at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will... If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre. That is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Now let's go through and break this down. As you read the account, you can hear the haggling going back and forth. It was a common uh, thing in that time and today to defer like an honorable kind of uh, uh, 
humble way to say, oh, no, you take it. We're just going to give it to you. And, of course, that the, didn't mean that. And the other party would come back with an offer, and they'd go back and forth. So it's this honorific uh, barter, bartering and haggling that's going on between the two of them. And it's really, I think it's great to, that this, that the Holy Spirit inspired this to take place like this, because it's, this is, you know, almost 4,000 years ago that this event took place. And this is still what people do today, especially in the Middle East, actually outside of North America or European culture, people still haggle for stuff. And um, so they're going back and forth with this deal. And it's great to see this record in scripture because again, it reinforces what we know is true, being convinced of the Holy Spirit, that God's word is a complete accurate assessment of what took place back then. And we can look at this and trust that this is God's word was accurately describing what was taking place. And so in the, in the uh, middle of this accurate portrayal of history and of those uh, times in which they lived and the customs and the culture that they did, then we plug into this the, the miraculous work that God does for his people. And this is the spirit of God that causes us to believe and trust that God has inspired his word, right? So looking at this account, this will go break it down. We'll start at verse one. So now Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, the weeping and mourning that took place here is typical that we see um, expressed in the Middle East today and many other countries, especially outside of Europe and areas of, of uh, the Far East, where people are much more expressive in their mourning. You know, we uh, descended, a bunch of white people descended from a bunch of <laughs> white Europeans are much more reserved. But if you go to some or you've seen Middle Eastern displays of sorrow and mourning, they hire professional mourners. And they did the same thing even back then, they say, according to historians. They would actually hire, and Abraham would have been one of them, hire people to weep loudly. Okay, so this was an occasion in which they expressed huge sorrow for the passing of somebody. So when it's the scriptures are speaking of him mourning for her and weeping for her, there's actually a few different Hebrew words that you can use to describe crying, weeping, and mourning. And some of them are weeping like for joy, which would be just tears. And this instance is more than just tears. It's actually this, this, this uh, terrible sorrow. And part of the mourning would include dressing in sackcloth and throwing ashes on your head and going in the dirt. If you remember the book of Job, there's a huge emphasis placed on Job's mourning and how sorrowful he was. And this would have been the same scene. So here we have this scene. Now, Abraham has been with her for many, 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 many decades. You know, imagine uh, the, how you know we know how beautiful it is to be connected to your bride and your husband and to have that beautiful relationship. And I can't imagine a hundred years more than that actually. And Abraham's married to Sarah, and <clears throat> now this is over. And so Abraham is sorrowing greatly. He's mourning greatly. And so all of this is happening with the professional mourners. He's weeping out loud. He's in sackcloth and ashes. And then Abraham rose from before his dead, his wife, and then he spoke to the sons of Heth. And he said, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Now, this is really important because when Abraham is in this land of Canaan, remember, what did God say to Abraham? He told him he was going to do what for him? Give him all this land, right? And that his sons and through his, his sons, the whole earth will be blessed. And he's going to be the father of a multitude. So 
This is actually his land. And Abraham has been very successful with, we know, all the cattle and the, the servants that he had, the slaves that he had. And he still says, I'm a stranger and I'm a sojourner. It's really an interesting, almost paradox here, because this was actually the land that God had given him. This was his new land. And we're going to see Acts out in faith, because it was really important in those cultures, and it still is today, that you, you would bury your dead in the land that you came from. So there was, in a lot of respects, a desire that Abraham would have and could have had towards Ur of the Chaldees, where he lived previously in Iraq in which he would have possibly desired to build, to bury his wife there. He's still claiming he's a sojourner and a pilgrim, even though it's his land. He still thinks of himself somewhat as a Chaldean. But in faith, he says, no, God has actually given me this land, so I'm going to buy a place to bury my wife. This is a very strong statement of faith that Abraham is, is declaring. And so when he's speaking to them, he's claiming to be a stranger and a sojourner in this land. And we can't help but to see the same kind of uh, relationship that we have to our land, right? To where we live in America, in New York State, in Monroe County. We have an affinity for it. You know, one thing we've all been talking about in the last four weeks is probably way been the most beautiful fall that I think many of us have ever experienced, right? It's been four weeks of incredible beauty and color. And so it kind of connects us to this land. It's so beautiful. Lakes and everything else is just so beautiful to see. And in one sense, it's ours, but the scripture says that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, going on, is that God has chosen us as a royal priesthood, right? And that this land is not ours, and that we are sojourners, we're strangers, we're pilgrims, and we're passing through. And Hebrews chapter 11, which we can look at in a little bit, talks about the fact that we're waiting for the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, to come down, of which is our true citizenship. So there's a sense in which there is a present and yet future land that we occupy because God did promise to Adam and to Eve and he told them that your job is to take dominion over this land and to submit it unto God's glory. And so we take this land, this earth, and we want to take dominion over it. We want to submit it for God's glory. However, there is a heavenly city. We're looking forward to its return from, to its, its coming from heaven. So here, Abraham now is in a position in which he recognizes a stranger and a sojourner, yet it's his land by faith that's going to happen in the future. And so he says, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham and said to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us for sure. So this guy, again, as I said before, 60 years earlier had 315 trained men just to fight. That's not including the men who undoubtedly had women that were married to them. So we're looking at well over 600 servants and slaves that he had to take care of all the cattle and all of his wealth. Again, six decades later, who knows what this turned into, but he was a super, super influential guy, which is why they said you're a mighty prince among us. And they would have heard about the miraculous works that God had done through Abraham and God speaking to him and the miraculous way in which his wife had given birth. You know, when they see the age of his, of his, uh, of her child of Isaac, um, it would be quite obvious that God had done a miracle with him as well as all of his um, military prowess and saving lot. So there was much to be feared about Abraham. And so they say to him, bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. 
So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. Now, this is interesting. So Abraham is bowing to the sons of Heth, the people of the land. He's showing deference. He's showing honor to them in this transaction. And there's a lot to be learned here because Abraham um, isn't even trying to bargain for a lower price. He's actually saying to them, I'm giving you the value of this land. And as Christians, it's a really good lesson for us in business to not defraud people or not to give them the cheapest possible deal and always being, you know, really like a, a stingy miser. But we want to be fair and want to be honest because we're trusting by our actions and all of our dealings that God truly is the one to prosper us. So we don't have to be all shrewd and people walk away with a bad taste in their mouth because we've been improper in business dealings. And Abraham is doing this with them. And it's interesting because at the same time as um, Abraham is carrying out this respect towards them, what is fascinating is that in this position of Abraham bowing to them, the father of, of uh, bowing to them, the father of the Israelites is going to be is is um, eventually these guys are going to be displaced this the Hittites by God's judgment. So here again, this interesting paradox: Abraham is being fair with these people that are worshiping false gods, carrying out human sacrifice, and all kinds of terrible things, and they're about to be removed from this land in a couple hundred, few hundred years, as God blesses the people of Israel moving into the land of Canaan. And so the Hittites are, are, are shown respect, even though they may not have deserved respect. So Abraham is is preferring them and carrying out a good witness unto the Lord. And he spoke with them and he said, and if, it is your wish, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is, at, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham, and the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So now this guy's preferring to Abraham, and you have this exchange going back and forth, this honorific trade. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it for me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So this is a kind of a funny exchange. <laughs> you can hear him. I can't but hear this in like a, a Hebrew-Jewish accent. <laughs> I know. Um, being in business myself, guys, I uh, have business, de business dealings with many different ethnicities. And stereotypes are generally true. <laughs> okay. And you can count in certain phrases happening. I know, right? I count you. Uh, but I just, you know, it's funny. I do work with Jews. And the first thing to say, okay, now sharpen your pencil when it comes time for, you know, signing the contract. And all this stuff. It's, it's so funny. So you hear this this bartering going on and back and forth. And, and so... Uh, Anyway, so they're bartering back and forth. Verse 14, Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, 
were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, which is, or that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Okay, go and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. We're going to look at Abraham in light of what Hebrews 11 says about the faith that he had in looking for a city. So. so Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 13 <clears throat> All these died in faith without receiving, oops, sorry, go verse, verse uh, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now remember, this is when he was 75. By faith, he lived as, or 70. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead is that, as many as that as many descendants, as the stars in the heaven as the stars in heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, which is the actual words that Abraham spoke to the Hittites. For for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. So here we see Abraham as a model of faith in chapter 11, as well as others, including Sarah, which is pretty unique with Sarah, because this is the only time in Scripture where a woman's birth and death is recorded. And so Sarah's birth and death is recorded because she was a great woman of faith. And the scripture says that we are the children of promise, and as opposed to those who were born um, of, the, of the law, which was we talked about earlier, which of course was Ishmael through Hagar and through the child of the flesh. But the scripture says because of Sarah's faithfulness and trusting God's promises, we are her children. And so it's just a, a, a really neat connection we have with Sarah, with Abraham here in uh, Hebrews. And I love just seeing how 2,000 years later, 
the scripture records, you know, uh, this completion of Abraham's faith and how he's looking forward to the heavenly kingdom, right? Now open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> we have, like as, as I mentioned earlier, one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. And this is talking about Christ's resurrection from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we would be of most, of all men, most miserable. And um, the beauty of this, of this Scripture, of this chapter, is... Um, how we can trust in the resurrection of Christ and how in Christ's resurrection, we find our life obviously in his resurrection. And when Paul is, is teaching through this, he gives this beautiful example or this challenging example and says, look at Christians, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable because our entire foundation of, of where we stand as Jews is based upon the fact that Christ was the promised one. He is the true anointed of God, the Messiah. And if he is, then he would be fulfilling all those prophecies. If he didn't rise, then we would be of most of all men most miserable because of the persecution they were suffering and because of the judgment they would suffer for being false prophets. So looking at uh, chapter 15, let's start in verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man, by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God, to the God and Father, when, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in, in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. And skip to verse 35. But someone, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And the last man, Ad, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So the first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And is, as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as, if, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. When Christ had rose from the dead, he destroyed the power of death with its hold over us. That released us to walk free in Christ, to be free from God's wrath because we deserve death, right? But that death, the last enemy, has not been completely destroyed yet until Christ comes <laughs> and he establishes the new order. And so as Paul is teaching the Corinthians here, and he says to them, you know, death, where's your sting? And where is the victory? And it's the sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law, but God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on being encouraged in these words, brothers, because they were being persecuted. They were being martyred for their faith in Christ and they were dying. And Paul says, your labor is not in vain. It's not vain because we're looking for a heavenly kingdom as Abraham looked for a heavenly kingdom. And as Abraham was mourning over the death of Sarah and just terribly sorrowful of what was taking place, it's obvious that um, we all are going to suffer from that kind of mourning. But Paul goes on to say that we don't mourn as the world mourns because we have this hope that our loved ones we're going to be re reunited with as the Lord has taken them up to heaven. And the fear that uh, the world has for death is not the kind of fear that we should have. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but do you want to know the number one commandment, according to a whole bunch of people in the scripture, the most common commandment that God has given man? Do not fear. Yeah, fear not. Some variation of that, which is I didn't really know till just this week. <laughs> and so God commands us over and over again to not fear. Well, there's a couple of reasons why. One, obviously it's a major problem that many men have, which is why God repeats it so often. And two, because it's such a struggle, God says, don't do it. And he's overcome the world, so we don't have to fear death. And this fear, though, that the world has completely drives everything they do. I couldn't help but to think of the last couple of years 
with COVID, right? The fear of COVID drove people to do the most insane things, to the mask little babies that we know are, are fine from COVID, and to all this cr shutting people's jobs down, separating families, causing suicides to take place. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all these details, but they are so desperate to hold on to this life here that they cannot live with an expectation beyond what we see on this earth. As Christians, we have to live without a fear of death and with, and with and the belief and the promise that we're going to have a heavenly kingdom that we're going to inherit and that everything we're doing now is by faith and glorifying God. So even though we live in this land and in, in this planet, Monroe County, New York, so on and so forth, we, and we, God's given us uh, dominion over it to give him glory, the greater glory and the greater um, inheritance we're going to enjoy is in the eternal realm. And the, um, what our scripture we want to look at is Matthew chapter 6. So turn to Matthew chapter 6. It's only a short one. You don't, have to, you don't want to. But Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talks about, um, in this chapter, he's talking about not worrying. And he's talking about storing up treasures in heaven. So in Matthew chapter 6, just a quick verse, but chapter 6, again, Jesus is reinforcing where our treasure should be. So Matthew chapter 6, in verse, so I'll start in uh, verse 16. I'll start in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if our heart is the kingdom of heaven, then we're going <laughs> to be able to trust that we're going to be looking for treasures that are planted up in heaven. And so as we are sojourning through the earth as Abraham did, and we are pilgrims in this land, we need to be faithful to store up treasures in heaven, right? And part of that faithfulness is going to require us to do sometimes just hard things. We can't always be looking for immediate satisfaction. And Abraham showed that he was really walking in faith, traveling through this land that he was traveling through, and of course suffered the loss of his wife. And um, through that loss, though, he learned and he was, he was having faith that there was going to be a heavenly city awaiting him and knew he was going to be reunited, reunited with Sarah. So, um, yeah.